if you do not speak the truth and the grace of God into the next generation, nobody is going to. They're going to speak something into the next generation, but it is not going to be the things of God. And so if you don't take that opportunity to speak the things of God into the lives that you have influence in, then no one is going to. There was a time when we kind of could rely on the culture to teach our kids the things of God. They didn't do a very good job, but there was a time when you could rely on the culture to do that. But if you rely on the culture to teach your kid today, you know what they're going to learn? Yeah, I, I know all the stuff that was going through your head right there. You're right. It's not good. It's not good. They're, they're going to learn that sin and, and, and death and, and all these things are expected. They're going to learn that all the things that the world says are good are good. They're going to learn that the things of God are, are something that they should avoid. They're going to learn all this evil, and they're going to walk in it, and they're going to live in it. If we do not teach our children about the Lord, no one is going to. It is our responsibility to speak life into the next generation. It is our responsibility to make sure that they experience the things that they need to experience so that they can then carry that same message on to the generation that comes after them. I'm blessed to be able to be one of the assistant coaches for the Hart County Raider football team. They're with us here today, man. Could you guys give them a hand? Make them feel welcome at the Way Church. Some awesome young men, some amazing coaches up there. Um, we have developed four core values that exemplify what our football team is. And those things are accountability, competition, passion, and sacrifice. And we feel like that if we can instill these values into these young men, then we can create a legacy that will extend on beyond just them and go into the lives of the ones that come after. We feel like that if we can uh, just, just convince them to take ownership of these things in their life, that it will transcend anything that we can teach them. Because if they'll get this, then all of a sudden we won't have to reteach this to them every year. If they can get this, then we won't have to scream at them and yell at them and make them do up-downs and gassers and stuff like that all the time to get their stuff right. If we can get them to take hold of us instead of us just yelling at them all the time, then it's going to change everything. You know why? Because we can create a culture that has these values. And all of a sudden, I won't be screaming at kids like, why would you miss practice? Other players will be calling up on the phone like, dude, you wasn't at practice. I won't have to tell kids not to act ignorant out there when they're in school or on social media or whatever because they'll be taking care of it themselves. We won't have to explain to them that, that competition is a necessary part of this deal. We won't have parents calling us up and being like, why didn't my kid get to play as much as the other kid got to play? And I won't have to be like, because they're terrible. I won't have to say that because they'll come into the program expecting that. They'll come into our program knowing that if you're going to get some PT, you're going to have to earn it. If you're going to get to see the field, then you're going to have to be the one that's best suited to be on the field. We're going to establish that as a culture. And not only that, but passion, man. We're, we're, we're praying and, and hoping and teaching that we can teach and instill in these kids to practice and to play with passion. And if they, if they will, that they'll have success. And then if they'll go about it and, and get rid of this lackadaisical like garbage that the world teaches is okay, and if they'll live their lives and play their game with passion, then they'll have success. And the most important one is this. Sacrifice. Man, if we can teach these young men that if they're going to have success, it's going to cost them something. It's going to change everything. I mean, if they can really realize that to have success in, in, in the sport, that they're going to have to give up some things. 
I mean, if we don't have a, a bunch of young men that are, you know, staying up till 4 o'clock in the morning playing Fortnite and then wondering why they can't run all the laps they need to run, you know, if they, they, they realize that they've got their minds so filled with garbage that they can't understand what they're supposed to do on the play, sitting there thinking about whatever else is going on in the world, if we can instill in them the fact that in order to have success, you're going to have to sacrifice and make that a part of the legacy of our program and pass that down to the next generation. Like, yeah, you can be part of this. You can be part of this, but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something, but it'll be worth it. Because that's the point. You want to sacrifice to be worth it. It needs to be worth it. And if we can teach them that, it'll change everything. But, but the beauty about these four things is that it doesn't stop with football. You know, that, I mean, we, we want to win football games, sure. We want to have a cool football program. But even more than that, we want to make fine young men. We want to instill into this generation that they can be something more than what the world has been. That they can be something more than they've been. We want to put them out there into the world as, as good people. And this does that because even as an adult, when you go out of there in the world, you need these same values in your life. I mean, you need to be accountable to be there for your family when you're supposed to be. You need to be accountable to raise your kids the way you're supposed to. you got to be accountable to go to work when you're supposed to go to work and be the man or the woman that you're supposed to be. You know, you know we, we, we teach that, 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 that life is a competition, that you're not going to be handed anything, that if you're going to have anything worth anything in life, you're going to have to work for it. That, that's not just going to fall in your lap, man. You have to go out there and get it because that's the way the life is. And then, um, you know, to live life with passion, you know, not to take things for granted, not to just let life happen to you, but like we say in the Dave Ramsey program with Adam Steiner, right? Go out there and let happen to life. You know, don't just sit and watch it happen, man. Go out there and do something. I mean, have passion about living. Man, wake up every day and value every breath that comes in your body. Value every beat of your heart, right, brother? Because they're numbered, aren't they? They're numbered. The beats of your heart are numbered. So we need to live life with passion. Most importantly, sacrifice. That if you're going to be a, a man or a woman that's upstanding in this community, sometimes you're going to have to take a step back so that those, that those that you love can take a step forward. Sometimes you're going to have to bear the brunt so that those around you don't have to experience some of that heartache and some of that trouble and some of that strife. Sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice so that others can be built up. And sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice right now so that in the long term things will be better. And that's a very mature thing to understand. But it doesn't even stop with life, man. These things go from football, they go to life, but they also ring so true in the spiritual, don't they? Because, guys, we are accountable. Ultimately, we're accountable to who? To God. We're accountable to God. Someday we're going to have to come before the throne of grace. Someday we're going to have to come before the throne and answer for everything that we've done and not done. And I'm just saying that that's true, man. And some people are like, well, that's works-based theology. No, 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 that's after you've made it. You only get to come before the, the beam of throne if you made it. So you've already been blessed with eternal life, but you're still going to have to come before the Lord and look him in the eyes and let him know what you did with the grace that was offered to you. Can you say amen? So ultimately, we're accountable to God. We're accountable to God. And hey, this life is a competition. In case you haven't noticed, we are at war. There's a war that's raging all around us all the time, 24-7, 365 days a year. It's a war between light and darkness, between good and evil, between heaven and hell. And let me tell you, you can either be on one side or the other, or you can stand in the middle, but the devil owns the fence. Can you say amen? And so we've got to be willing to pick up our sword and go to war. And I want to tell you today that the lives of these young people, they're worth fighting for. Somebody say amen. They're worth fighting for. 
Because the, the, the spoils of this war that's going on are the souls of all mankind. Are the souls of all mankind. Now, I do know that at the end of the day, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, that it's Jesus Christ that stands supreme in victory over all things. Can somebody give him some praise? Come on. But, Pastor, if he's already won, then why do we got to fight? Because it's up to us to help determine how many souls get to go home into glory and how many get lost in the abyss. Can you say amen? Life is a competition, and it's a battle worth fighting. That brings me to the last one, which is the foundation of everything that we do here. Sacrifice. The fact that the Son of God was willing to leave his throne next to the Father. Take on flesh and bone. To live a life you couldn't live. To die a death you couldn't die. To pay a price you couldn't pay. To give you a life that you could not have any way had otherwise. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself so you could live. He gave up everything so you could have everything. Can you say amen? And that is the perfect picture of what sacrifice looks like. So yes, these core values, thank you, Coach Griffin, they're beautiful. Fit in football, they fit in life, and they fit in eternity. And if we can teach those young men that, it'll change everything about our football program. If we can teach our families these things, it'll change everything about your life. And if we as the church can create a legacy where these things matter, it changes eternity for a whole bunch of people. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word today? I'm going to be reading from Jesus' favorite book of the Bible. I know that it was his favorite book because he quoted a lot of Scripture while he was walking around here on the earth. But he quoted a whole lot more from Deuteronomy than he did anywhere else. So I know that I, I teach New Testament stuff a lot of times and I tell people to read John and read 1 John and read 2 John and read Romans and read Ephesians. But listen, if you want to read some Old Testament, my worship pastor is always excited. He's like, he's preaching from the Old Testament today. If you want to read some Old Testament, read the book of Deuteronomy. It's life-changing. It's soul-saving. It is empowering. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, the Bible says this. Listen! He's not playing around. It's not a request. It's a command. Listen, Israel. And don't check out when I say Israel. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and you've been grafted into the tree, somebody say amen. If you're, if you're saved, born again, baptized, blood-covered, spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ, and you've been grafted into the tree of Israel. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Did you hear that? Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on the city gates. 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities you did not build, houses full of every good thing you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Say, be careful. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Love God and love people. Love God because he's everything that we could ever need. Love God because he's the way and the truth and the life. Love God because he reached down into that darkness, pulled us free, shined the light of his glory on us, healed our wounds, brought us to life, set us free, and guaranteed us an eternity in heaven. Can you say amen? Yeah, give him praise for that. And when I say that here, we celebrate it. And we lift our hands to heaven when J.R. sings about it and we clap and we yell hallelujah. But do we say it when we leave here? Do we say it when we walk out those doors? How often do we say those things about loving God with everything that we've got? How often do we say these things to our kids? How often do we say these things to our spouses and our families? How often do we say these things to the people we work with, the people we go to school with? How often is the name of Jesus on our lips? Do we say it loud enough that they hear us? Do we say it often enough that they will remember it? Well, if you do, praise God for you. If you don't, let this day be remembered in your life as the day where everything changed. Let this day be remembered in your life where you made a decision to do something different. Father, we come to you today praising your holy name worshiping you in the spirit and the truth. And God, I pray for a spirit of boldness in our lives, God, that we would be willing and able to do whatever it takes to shout your name from the rooftops, to praise you on the hilltops and in the valleys, God, to bring glory to your name wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give him a shout of praise and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Man, God is good and all the time. Yes, he is. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord our God with all your strength and all your mind and all your soul and all your everything. Love God with everything that you've got. That is the most important thing that I could ever say to you. It's the most important thing I could ever show you. It's the most important thing that you can ever do in your entire life. It's to love God. It's the great commandment. There is not one before it. There is not one equal to it. It is the greatest thing that we can ever do is to love God with everything that we've got. And so it being that that's the most important thing that we could ever do in our lives, it's also the most important thing that you could ever teach to your children. And when you see your children, don't get caught up, man. If you're not a parent, you've got a child in your life that you have influence over. You've got a young person of life that you have influence over in your life. Even you high school kids, man, you've got some in your life that you have speaking permission into their life. I mean, you know, we've got eighth graders that are coming up and playing on our varsity team, man. You guys had an opportunity to speak life into those young people. When I say kids, when I say stuff like that, don't tune me out if you don't have kids because you've got somebody. You've got somebody out there that is looking at you, that is listening to you, that values you. And so we have influence in somebody's life. And so it's up to us to teach them, to show them, to empower them. Do I need that? All right. Good deal. That works. Uh. Yeah. 
I don't like that thing anyway. You've got somebody in your life you need to speak truth into. It's the most important thing that you can ever show the people that you have influence over. It's to love God. But do we teach our kids anything by telling them to do something? I mean, let's be honest, do we? No, Jimmy says no. Yeah, Angela says no. Brent said no, first service. No, my kids don't pay any attention to what I say. Nothing. I mean, they don't pay any attention to what I say. I could talk till I was blue in the face. It wouldn't change a thing. I mean, our words do have power in their life. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the things we say are important, but if we really want to teach them something, then we need for them to experience it with us. Saying it is not enough. I mean, when we teach our kids to, to walk, do we just tell them how to do it? Like, hey there, little buddy. Okay, here's what you do. So you get up, and then you put one foot in front of the other, and you kind of shift your weight back and forth as you're going. And you can do that, and you'll be walking. Okay, ready? Go. Babe, it's not doing anything. Now, Jesus, you just get up, and you just put one foot, and then you go over there. You, Baby, I think it's broken. Think they'll let us take it back. No, man, we can't tell them how to walk. They learn how to walk by experiencing that with us. They see us walking around, and they're like, hey, they got up and got something. I want to get up and get something, too. And then they know they can do it because they've seen us do it. And then, and, and then we're able to have them experience with us. We, like, grab them by the hands. You know, this thing where you pick them up by the hands, and you, like, put their feet on yours, and you, like, walk them around. They're experiencing that with you. And when we teach them to talk, we don't, like, tell them how to talk. I mean, it's weird, right? So you use your tongue, and you blow air out, and then you close and open your mouth. And you're like, blah, blah, blah. and that's, and then you make, no, you don't tell them how to talk. They learn that because they experience it with you. They learn things by experiencing things with you. And so if you want to teach your kids to love God and to value him at a high level, then you got to be a person that loves God and values him at a high level in your life. And they have to experience that with you. Because if you sit there and tell them, hey, you need to love God, you need to worship God, you need to serve God, you need to give to God, you need to do all these things for the church and for God, and then you don't, you're wasting your breath. You're doing something even worse than that. You're creating the exact kind of church people that we do not want. You're creating the same kind of so-called Christians that, that, that aren't even not a benefit to the kingdom of God, that are a hindrance to the kingdom of God. So, man, if you want to teach your kids to value God, then you need to value God. If you want to teach your kids to worship God, then you need to worship God. If you want to teach your kids to serve God, then you need to serve God. If you want to teach your kids to love God, then love God. Can you say amen? That's the only way that this works. Because your kids will spot a fake right now. Right now. Right now. We need to speak into the generations. But if your life don't match your speak, then you're wasting your time. Don't bother. 
don't bother. Because, man, them kids will spot a hypocrite just immediately, suddenly, right away. Right away. I think too often we've raised up our own kids to not value God as much as we want them to by our own actions. If you want to raise up kids that value money more than anything, then value money more than anything. If you want to raise up kids that value popularity more than anything, then value popularity more than anything. If you want to raise up kids that value work more than anything, then value work. If you want to raise up kids that value entertainment more than anything, and this is one of the most disgusting things that I see, then value entertainment more than anything. I'm telling you, that's a dangerous road to go down. Because as soon as they get bored, they'll be looking for something else to entertain them. And I'm not saying don't gather your family around and watch a movie or watch a show. We love to do that stuff. Play a game or go somewhere or whatever it is. Man, we love to do that. But here's the deal. If entertainment is more sought after in your household than the things of God, then you've got a problem and a real big one. A real big one. And it spirals out of control before we even realize it. And and we've taught by our own actions, like we want to raise up a generation that values God, but we don't value God. And if you put God constantly on the back burner in your life, then he's going to be non-existent in the life of the next generation. If, If we don't put value on the name of God in our homes, then he's going to have no value in the homes of our children. And if all God is to you is a Sunday tradition, then he's going to get lumped in with all the other traditions in your household. They're going to be like, oh yeah, we play, have game night on Thursday night and we go to church on Sunday. And that's all it's going to be. And it's going to mean nothing and be nothing. If you want your kids to value God, then you have to value God. You know, that next piece of scripture says to, let me, let me read it just to, to get the, just to make sure I get it right here. It says, these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. And just like Pastor Brent preached two weeks ago, man, he was talking about that, that, you know, he, he doesn't like when people say, I'm going to invite Jesus into my heart. Because when we invite somebody to come into our house, after a little bit, guess what? We are ready for them to go. <laughs> well, it was nice having you here. I like the analogy Pastor Brent used. He was like, man, it's been cool. Then you just kind of stand there. I think it was Confucius that said that guests are like fish. That after they're, they're good at first, and after a few days, they start to stink. So we're not asking you to invite Jesus into your house as a guest. We're asking you to make room for him so he can dwell. I love that word, dwell, in your heart. That he can dwell there. That he can take up residence there. That he has access to every single piece of it. And that actually it's his word that goes and not yours anymore. You're actually not even the man of our house anymore when we give him the, like he gets to hold the remote control. Can you say amen? When Jesus comes to dwell in your life, like he gets to sit in the big chair like Pastor Brent said and he gets to hold the remote. He gets to decide what's for dinner. He's in charge. Of course, you always know that he'll pick the best show for you and he'll pick the best meal for you because that's the kind of God that he is. Somebody say amen. But we're asking you to let him dwell in your heart. You know why? Because the things that come out of your mouth, the things that come out of your hands, they start in your heart. You know, Matthew 15, I talked about this the other day. Jesus said that it's not what goes into somebody's mouth that corrupts them. It's what comes out that corrupts them. And 
and the, you know, the, all those things like adultery and, and drunkenness and, and strife and hatred and all those things, they start as a corruption of the heart. It starts as a corruption of the heart. So the things that we're speaking into the next generation are ultimately a sign of the condition of our heart, the condition of our heart. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a good heart surgeon. It's a good thing I know one, and he uses a scalpel that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow and between soul and spirit. Can you say amen? And he will create a new heart within us, and he will renew a right spirit within us because that's the kind of God that he is. And when we get our heart fixed, we can get our speak fixed. When we get our heart fixed, we can get our act fixed. When we get our heart fixed, then we can get our experience with the next generation fixed. The Bible says to tell these things to our kids, to speak into the next generation. But I've been told you that speaking is, with words is just not enough. You've got to speak into their, into their life with your life. You've got to speak into their life with your life. Because that's when it gets real. And that's when we can actually make an impact. Is when the things we say are backed up by the way that we live. Can you say amen? That's the only way that we're ever able to make an impact. It says, teach them these things when you're at home and when you're out on the road. Mm. I've known too many people in my life that come in here or go to whatever church on Sunday morning. Lift their hands to the Lord. Say amen every time I make a good point. You know, read their Bible in here and, and do all the stuff of God serving the whatever ministry that we have to serve in. And then as soon as they get home, they walk to their home and they've got Jesus with them. Even out in public, they've got Jesus with them. And then when they get home, they're like, oh, yeah, you can't come in. I'm going to go in, but I need you to stay out here. And then they go on in their home and they leave Jesus Christ standing on the doorstep like a stranger. Because the things that go on inside the home don't match up with the things that go on in their life outside the home. For whatever reason, they leave Jesus outside and they become some totally other person when they get in the door. Man, like I said, your kids can spot that fake in a second. Like I said last week, if you worship fake, fake gods, worship fake, uh, fake gods make fake people, right? Fake gods make fake people. If you worship some kind of fake idol, then you'll become like that fake idol. And there's no forgiveness in that idol. Man, you got to carry God with you into your home. You can't leave him standing on the doorstep like a stranger. you got to welcome him into your home. you got to make it the way you live and the way you think and the way you talk and the way you are. Those are the things of God. And then some people do the opposite. Some people worship God inside their home, and they're playing worship music on the YouTube, on their TV, and they've got a prayer closet, and they're praying, and they're doing all the things. They're teaching their kids the things of God. And then time comes to go out, and they're like, Hey, Jesus. Hold the fort down. I'll be back sometime. And then they go out into the world, but they don't take Jesus with them out into the world. Too many people. You know, for whatever reason, some of them it's because they're going to the club and they don't want Jesus going to the club with them. They're going out there to do some sinning, and you don't take Jesus when you're going to go sinning, do you? Dude, that's the best person to take with you when you're going to go sinning. He's the only one that can help you stop and forgive you if you don't. But then some people in today's culture are just like closet Christians. And they're just so afraid that somebody out there in the world is going to know that they love Jesus. And so they hide him. Oh, Jesus, get down. Somebody's coming. <laughs> they're like making Jesus like go in the back bedroom and stuff like that. It's like, no, dude, get dead. Like they're in the car. Like, dude, duck. Somebody's going to see me with you. I can imagine Jesus like, what? <laughs> and, 
One of my favorite quotes of Jesus is, Father, how long do I have to suffer this generation? <laughs> Somewhere in the Bible it says this. Y'all can look it up yourself. It says, if y'all are ashamed of me here on the earth, then when I come before the Father, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Ugh. I reckon we better start shouting about Jesus from the rooftops, huh? I reckon we better start yelling his name as we're going down the road. I reckon that we ought to put away all that embarrassment and guilt and shame that we've been carrying with us and just let him break those chains and set us free. Somebody say amen. We need to have the name of Jesus quick on our lips. We need to have the things of God evident uh, in our lives because that's the kind of God that we serve. And everybody needs to know about what he's done. Everybody needs to know about what he's done. You know, it says, to, it, it says this. It says to, to talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Man, we need to talk about the things of God first thing in the morning. We, we, we need to talk about the things of God before we go to bed at night. Man, Jesus should be the first word out of your mouth in the morning and the last one out of your mouth at night. Ever since I started doing that, it has changed my life. First thing I say when I wake up is, good morning, Lord. Good morning, Lord. Last thing I say is, good night, Lord. And then I hope and pray that everything in the middle can conform to that. Does that make sense? That, that if I put those bookends on there, hopefully that everything in the middle will begin to conform to that, that will, to that truth, to that grace in my life. Man, in the morning, in the night. We just sang a song about that, didn't we? Come on. Let's do it. Stop letting the things of the world permeate the things of our life. Let's stop being used as an instrument of the devil in our own children's lives. I mean, come on, man. I think about how much garbage that I've taught my children. Like, how much of the stuff we teach our kids is stuff of the world, and how much of it is stuff of God? You know, I saw a Facebook meme that says this. It says, instead of giving your kids the things you never have, why don't you teach them the things you were never taught? And that's an incredible sentiment. I love it. I think it's awesome. But instead of teaching them how to change a tire or do that old family recipe, what if instead we teach them who the, who the, the, the power of God comes through in Jesus Christ? How about we teach them that the Holy Spirit is with them every step of the day? How about we teach them that there's a God in heaven that will never leave them, never abandon them, never forsake them, no matter what comes their way? How about we teach them that first? Let's teach them that first, and then we can teach them the rest of the stuff. You know, the... You know, it, it says in there to, to bind it around your hands, this word of God, to, 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 you know, strap it to your forehead, to put it on your doorpost of your home. And the, and the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, take that real seriously. They've got these leather bands they tie around their hands that have scriptures on them. Actually, these scriptures from Deuteronomy. They've got like a phylactery that they wear on their head when they're praying. And it's got like the scrolls that, that have the scriptures on them. They put the scriptures like on their doorpost of their home. They took it really literally, but I don't think that's what this means. I think they've got it mixed up. I think God is using an analogy here to tell us that these words of God should control our hands. And that means our actions. That it should, we should live and do and be by this word of God. I, I think that it's just telling us to strap it to our head so that we can understand that these word of God should control our thoughts. And, and that, that we should take every thought captive by Jesus Christ. I, I believe 
that, that is telling us to, to put it on the doorpost of our home and in our workplaces so that we can know that the foundation of our home and the essence of our work all belong to God. Can you say amen? And that they should be dictated and moved and empowered by the things of God so that we don't forget. You know, in the book of Judges, in chapter 2, the Bible says that while Joshua was alive and the elders that were with him were alive, everybody praised God. And then as soon as Joshua and the elders died, that this entire generation forgot about God and started doing evil in God's eyes. You know why? They didn't speak life into the next generation. They didn't let the next generation experience God's love and His power through them. Because you see, the next generation, they didn't see the angel of death come and skip over all the children of Israel's homes. They, they didn't see Moses lift a stick and God split the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry ground. They didn't see manna fall down from heaven and feed them while they were in the wilderness. They didn't see the walls of Jericho come crashing down so that they could do what God had called them to do and be who God had called them to be and win every victory. They didn't see those things. They didn't experience those things for themselves. So they didn't know. They didn't know. Nobody told them. This next generation that's going to come after us, you know, these young people here, these young people in the back, this little fella right here, they're not going to have the same experience with God that we did. And I don't want them to. I don't want them to need the miracles that I needed. I don't want my son to have to experience the deliverance that I experienced. I don't want him to have to go through the things that I went through. And I certainly don't want him to put the people around him through the things that I put the people around me through. In order for him to experience the same miracles that I experienced, he'd have to have the same problems that I had. And I don't want that for him. And so I need to speak that truth and that life into him. I need to let him experience the love of God that has changed my life through me so that he doesn't have to be or have been. I don't want him to experience God in the same way that I did. I don't. When people ask me why my faith is so strong sometimes, and I tell them, man, when my faith in God is so strong because I was dead and now I'm alive because I was trapped in sin and now I've been set free by the precious love of Jesus Christ. Can you say Amen. But I don't want them to be dead like I was. I don't want them to be drugged out there by, by drugs and violence and all those things, man. I don't want them. I don't want him to be stuck in that stuff. I want him to go so much further than me. But if he's going to go further, then he, have to, he has to start where I stop. He needs to start where I am now so that he doesn't have to do all that backlog garbage. It's just like I was talking about with our team, man. If we can instill that legacy, those values into them, and then they can start there instead of starting way back there, then we can go so much further. If the next generation can start where we are now instead of having to relearn what we already learned, it changes everything. It changes everything. Speak life. Speak life into the next generation with your life. Speak life with life. It changes everything for them. And then they'll be able to go so much further than we ever could have gone on our own.
And that brings us back to these four core values. Accountability. Be the men and women of God that you've been called to be no matter where you find yourself. If you're in church, if you're out on a football field, if you're at work, if you're at home by yourself, even if you find yourself in a place that you probably shouldn't have gone, be the same man or woman of God there that you would be here. That's being accountable. Be the person of God you've been called to be no matter what situation you find yourself in. When things are good, praise God. When things are bad, praise God. When things are just regular and I think that may be the most dangerous, praise God. Competition. We in a war, fellas. We in a war. Look around. This is the army you're fighting beside. We're in a war. Don't give in. Don't let up. Keep fighting. The next generation is worth it. Their souls, their lives are worth it. They're worth it. It's going to be a fight, man. Nothing's going to get handed to us. The whole world is against us. We have to stand up and go against the grain. We have to be willing to take Jesus with us when we go home and willing to take Jesus with us when we go out of the world. And it's going to be a fight. Jesus never said this was going to be easy. I laugh at those preachers that are like, and if you give your life to Jesus, then everything's going to be okay. And it's going to be rainbows and fairy tales and cotton candy every day. No, it ain't. Jesus said when storms come, meaning they will. Jesus said in, in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. It's a fight. Passion. I've got that one. I've got that one. I love my God. And I love the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given me in my life. And I pray that my fire never goes out. And I pray that yours doesn't either. If all you've got is a little spark, man, you need to get some air of the Holy Spirit to blow into that and kindle it and stoke it up a little bit until that sucker's burning out of control. We need to have a passion for life. Every breath is numbered. Every beat of your heart is numbered. Every word you get the chance to speak is numbered. Never take one of them for granted. There's not always going to be a next year. There's not always going to be a next week. There's not always going to be a tomorrow. Live with passion. Live with passion for the things of God. Live with passion to worship and to praise and to learn about Him, man. Live with a passion to speak truth into the next generation. And that brings us to sacrifice. You know what something's worth? Whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. You know what you're worth? Everything. Because God gave his best for you. God gave his only begotten son so that you could live. You know, I know I, I say this maybe too much, but I'm going to say it again. If a madman kicked open one of these doors and came in here and said, look, I'm going to kill one person in here. And the rest of you can go free. I say, take me. And I think those of you that know me know that it's true. You know it's true. But if that same madman said, hey, pastor, trade me your son 
and I'll let everybody else go. Nope. Not going to happen. Even though I've got a backup, it's still not going to happen. I love him more than I love myself and I love you guys but I love him more than I love any of you I'm just being honest and I know that my wife loves him more than she loves herself so no no I won't I wouldn't trade him for anything but that's what God did for you his only son for you he sacrificed his only son for you and you might think my sermon today was about act right and be right and think right and do right no 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 my sermons are never about act better and do better and be better every sermon I preach is only about surrender I'm not asking you to act better. If my salvation is, is up to me acting better, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm not asking you to think better. I'm not even to talk better. I'm asking you to surrender your life to the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? You can't do this. You can't speak into the next generation, but he can. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he wants to use you to do it. Does that make sense? sacrificed everything so you could live so you could be his hands and feet here on the earth and then so you could experience with him an eternity in heaven and that sacrifice was for everybody I don't care what you've done I don't care what's been done to you the grace of God is enough it's enough enough 